The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. I find it an honor to be able to speak today. Um, Jonathan is at home honoring his wife. Uh, they had sick kids all week. And uh, he figured it was much better for him to be at home on Mother's Day with the mother of his children than, uh, than to be here. And I count it an honor because it gives me a chance on Mother's Day to speak about one of my favorite heroes and characters of the Bible. Uh, it just so happens that it's a woman, but she is one of my very, very favorite characters. And we're going to look at that today a little bit. And there's some lessons we can really learn from her. She's not, not just an example of an amazing remarkable person, but there are things that we can learn from how she handled uh, David, particularly. So let's pray. Fathers, we come before you today, we just want your word to speak to us. Holy Spirit, fill each of our hearts and open each of our minds. Father, protect anything that I might say or do, and Lord, just draw us to yourself. Allow us to learn from you, and to walk out in strength in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you don't have a Bible, would you be interested? Anybody would like to have one? We've got some in the back they'll give you. If you don't, either that or open up your electronics. I'll let you hold it up, show me the light uh, that you do. There's at least one over here that needs a Bible, guys, uh, if you will do that. All right, Rebecca, I mean, uh, Abigail was a remarkable woman who was remarkably used by God. She was already remarkable, and then what God did, you kind of miss it a little bit, but it was a remarkable thing that he accomplished through her. The Holy Spirit used her to protect God's plan and also uh, to demonstrate God's glory. And it's even more than what we see. It's not just someone who did a really good job handling a somewhat difficult person. It's more, it's a bigger picture than that. If you will, if you look in your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 25, you will notice that uh, right beginning out, setting the context of what's going on, uh, you already heard what the servant reported what, what had gone on. But a little bit about uh, this guy, Nabal. It says in verse 2 that the man was very rich. It goes on to describe how rich he was. Now, uh, this, this is a context issue because David wasn't just trying to take from someone who couldn't afford it. She was taking out of someone's largesse. He had plenty. The other thing about it was it says he was shearing his sheep in Carmel, the end of that verse. That means they were having a huge party. That's the hardest part of the work of being a shepherd. Once you've got it done, that's the harvest. And that's where the money comes from. And at that time, they're having this huge, huge celebration. And so it's the time that normally you would share. You would give to others. You would act out of generosity. So that's the context of what David, when he sent his 10 men to saying, hey, we've watched out for you all this time. Would you please consider giving something out of what you have and what you're celebrating? He didn't tell them how much or anything. He just asked them to give a little bit. 
Now, just a little bit about uh, Abigail and uh, Nabal. Nabal means obstinate fool, okay? That's just the name. I'm sorry, it's, you know, it's kind of like at our house, we were never allowed to use the word S-T-U-P-I-D. Okay, this guy was right there with this. Uh, Abigail meant joy of her father. Now, just silent. I, I, I read that and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to rename all my daughters and my daughter-in-law joy of me, <laughs> joy of her father, because they have been, and it's been just kind of neat. So I didn't realize Abigail meant that, uh, or I would have been tempted to try to talk Pam into using that one uh, on that. Now, I thought about the idea of Nabal. Okay, would you name your son Fool? No, Obstinate Fool? I can't imagine that was his real name, okay? The guy was rich and powerful, and he was nasty. So I don't imagine anybody called him that to his face. But that's what everybody knew him by. Now, I thought the song came to me. Uh, if you were to do that to a young to a boy, you might as well call him a boy named Sue, right? That's just that would be awful to do that. But that, but he had earned that name. Uh, one quick thing that you find about in the next uh, verses about uh, Abigail is that she was discerning first. Okay, that word can also be intelligent. Uh, she was sharp, but she also had discernment in that sharpness. And also she was beautiful. But I do want to point out that the first character trait that Scripture talks about was her discernment, her intelligence. She was also beautiful. It's, it, it's kind of like a throw-in at that point. Now the man, was, which, is, <laughs> which is this Nabal, which you're going to hear a lot about, he was surly, harsh. Harsh is there. It's surly is another word. And badly behaved. Evil in his doings is another translation that can come out of that. And he was a Calebite. Now, you might look at that, and, and, and I have before just kind of slipped right over that. But this, has a, this is part of the very basic core of God's plan being protected right here. Because being a Calebite meant that he was attached to the tribe of Judah. Now, at this time, David is running from Saul. He has been already anointed to be king, but Saul won't let him be that. He's out in the wilderness running for his life, which with it, we hear 600 men trying to just make, make it through till Saul dies, actually, and he can become the, the actual king. The tribe of Judah was his tribe. It was the most uh, supportive of David. So if he were to kill a Calebite, who was also a tribe of Judah, it'd be a kinsman, and it would be a slap in their face, and it would probably bring all kinds of uh, things happening in response to that. So it would have been the fact that he was a Calebite and well-known and very wealthy is an incredible part of this story that, that for years, I'll be honest with you, I missed. This is one of those situations where he, God uses Abigail to keep David from an incredibly terrible mistake. We also know that we're, this is the line, lineage of Jesus, isn't it? He's also called the what of Judah? The Lion of Judah. So all of this is wrapped into this decision 
that, that, that quickly David wanted to bake and do and carry out, and uh, Abigail saved him from it. All right, I'm just going to go through the next few verses very quick. You've already heard a little bit as you read through. They were taken out, they were out in the wilderness. This means when they're out in the wilderness, well known in all of that territory, and it still is true of desert people today, there are bands of marauding gangs that would travel around and, and, and kill and steal and any place that they could find. Now, they had shepherds. He had a fair number of shepherds, but they were not soldiers. And they were not the number that these marauding gangs could come in and do. But David's gang of 600 were soldiers. Nobody messed with them except for Saul and the whole army trying to come after them. So it was said that they protected them and that they were there all during that time. And uh, so when David was asking for something, it was legitimate. What's interesting is Nabal's response. Uh, If he had just said no, it would have been bad enough. But he would have sent the guys back saying, no, I can't afford it right now. No, this isn't a good time. No, whatever. And been honorable or apologetic. But no, he, he was insulting, dismissive, and demeaning to David. Not a smart move. That is not a smart move to a, to a man who can kill Goliath and, and bears and has 600 people just like him, just itching for a fight. So this is the situation that he had, but he, he sent this word back. He, he actually said things like, who is David? He's a nobody. He's the son of Jesse. Now, he's already been anointed to be king, but he's telling, he's nothing. He's nobody. Why should I take my stuff and waste it on him? Well, <clears throat> when they got back and told David that, you can just guess what his response was. Uh, it didn't take long. What he basically does, what it says there is, every man strap on your sword. Now, actually, he only took 400 instead and left 200 to guard the, the, uh, the rest of their belongings. But he said, armor up. And then an important part of that says, at the end of that verse, in verse 13, David also strapped on his sword. Okay, that means I'm leading this charge. It also means probably that the head that David was going to get was Nabal. He probably would save that for himself. That's why he strapped on that sword. And he's going to get that. So that's the context, and that's where we are. Well, one of the young men that worked with that and were there when uh, David's men came ran back to Abigail. And it says in verse 14, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. In case that's an old-fashioned word, I don't know why the English Standard Version uses that one, but it's he hurled insults at them. That's what that means. I mean, so it was even worse than what was recorded before, but he hurled insults at them. And uh, the men, yet he said, the fact of the matter was, these men were very good to us. We suffered no harm. We did not miss anything. When we were in the fields, as long as we went with them, they protected us. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep, which meant they didn't have to fight against any marauding gangs. The gangs would leave Malone and not be there. So he did good things. It was, he had a legitimate right to ask for some, because he's living on the land. He doesn't have time to do anything else. 
And so he had a right to ask. He didn't demand a payment of a certain amount or anything, but he had a right to ask, what's at your hand? Would you please share? And he only sent 10 men, so he wasn't looking for a huge amount from this guy. Uh, now this, what's interesting is to see the difference between Abigail and Nabal, and here's one of her, we've already seen one of her amazing characteristics, and it, when it called her a woman of discernment. But here we see this come quickly in where it compares the two. Now, therefore, know this. I'm giving you this information. And consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless or wicked man that no one can speak to him. Now, I find that interesting. Arrogance can make you worthless and wicked. If you won't listen... It's not just a matter of being prideful. It moves into the area of wickedness, for different, according to scriptures. I find that was interesting. But it was interesting because this, this uh, servant went right to her, didn't he? He had a lot of confidence in her. He knew who was second in command of this whole uh, household. And he went to her because of several things. I looked at that. While he was unapproachable, she was approachable. While he wouldn't listen, she would. While he treated people evilly and badly and with arrogance, she had a relationship with her servants. They trusted and respected her. This is her normal life, running this household. What does that say about her strength and who she was as a woman? that they trusted her, the people that worked for her, trusted her and trusted and respected her. Now, it's interesting is that then Abigail made haste. I mean, she didn't wait a minute. She knew things were coming to, he'd be on the way. So she made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine, five sheep, and uh, 60 pounds is what the five seas would be, parched grain, hundreds. Now, this last part is interesting. You can tell it was, you know, they were getting ready for a huge party because things like clusters of raisins, cakes of figs, that's dessert. And so she sent huge amounts of even dessert along with them. And it was interesting because a couple of things that I noted right there. Number one, she was confident. She was confident in what she could do and decide. And she was decisive. I mean, it's like she just said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And another part of that is to realize that she was very probably the one who had, had overseen all of this preparation. She knew what they had and what they could give right immediately, just that fast, because she was up to date on all that was going on. So she was not only had wisdom and discernment, but uh, was respected and trusted. But we also notice that she was confident and decisive. All right, keep going on a little bit. She sent the, uh, she sent the young men go on before me. Uh, behold, I come after you. Uh, women were not well respected in that culture of that day, as we well know, sadly. And I don't think she was not sure what the response might be if a woman showed up first. 
She's the only one we know of that went as being a woman, but she sent these men ahead. So I think that was one of those things. And, and the other part about it is, if you've got men that are hungry and angry, you want to feed them. <laughs> it says, appease them in their hunger and send them there. Here's a phrase that is, uh, I, I really struggled with a little bit, the end of that verse. Notice what it says, but she did not what? She did not tell her husband. Okay. So is she being manipulative? Is this a negative or a positive? What do you think? I mean, we can almost, we can vote a little bit both ways. It's, it, you could say she was being manipulative. I personally think she was being wise. Now, here's a couple of reasons being that way. Number one is, in that culture, if she had asked Nabal whether she could do it or not, and he said no, she could not directly disobey him. But if she didn't even ask him and just went ahead and did it, then he didn't have the chance to say no and she was not, she was going around him, but in that culture and in that way, it, she wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a punishable offense, let's call it, because she did not go against him in that. She also saw that she needed to do that because she was trying to save him, all the rest of the servants, especially the male servants that were there. So when it says that, uh, I think that it was a very good reason for him not to tell her. Uh, that was there. Yeah, for her not to tell him. <laughs> what is it we call that? I'm going to ask for forgiveness and not permission. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think she was being manipulative. I think she was being wise, but you could, you could probably find some male writers that would disagree with me. Um, one of the things we seem to know is that she understood his intention. She rode on this donkey, came down from undercover on the mountain, and behold, David and his men came down toward her. So apparently they met in a valley, coming from two different directions and two different mountains. Now David had said, now this is the part that throw this in there, and I think she probably had heard the report. David was not being quiet about swearing revenge on Nabal. He basically said, I've guarded all this fellow has and nothing was missed, and he has returned evil to me. So therefore... God punish me and my, my friends if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. That's pretty serious revenge. And knowing that he was that angry, this is who Abigail faced with 400 men behind him. It says that she hurried and she recognized how quickly she needed to do this and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She offered something that her husband wouldn't honor. This was not some kind of servanthood type of thing. She was giving honor to a man who was known to be the Lord's anointed. I look at that and I can't imagine the humility the courage, and the sacrificial love and care for others that she demonstrates right here. Because when she fell on her face, what did she say? On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She was taking 
full responsibility. It's almost like she was a Christ-like figure there, wasn't she? On me alone, but all the responsibility of my foolish husband and everything that went on be upon me. And then she says, please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. So she asked for permission to talk to David. She starts out by saying, don't waste your time. You don't see that there? That's what she said. Nabal isn't worth it. Don't waste your time. Don't even regard this worthless fellow. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of the Lord whom you sent. She's basically telling him, it's not worth you putting your reputation on the line for this worthless man. Wise words. She understood, unfortunately, her husband and was able to speak truth to David on that. Let's go on the rest of this and see. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil be to my Lord as Nabal. This is when she begins her most serious argument. This is when she's really speaking to the king. And she's saying some incredibly powerful, scary stuff. We see again her courage, but she does it in a humble way. She's just, to me, she's just remarkable. I don't care whether she was a man or a woman. There weren't many men who would have the courage to say to David what she's saying to him. Because basically, notice what he's saying. The Lord has restrained you from two things. What's the first one? Restrained him from what? Blood guilt. Blood guilt upon whom? Who was he going to kill? Nabal. What was Nabal? A Calebite. From his own kinsmen. That would have caused all kinds of issues that were there. He had a right to some kind of repayment for what Nabal did, but not to murder Nabal and all of the men. If he had gone in and taken supplies he needed, that would have been something where people would have said, wow, that was just fair. But what he wanted to do was too far above and beyond what needed to be done, and he was wrong. That's one of the things we need to realize. David was wrong. And it's interesting, he later on admits it. But there's a second, just as important factor in this. Remember I said, this is one is to protect the, the name of the Lord, protect, and then the other is to help in carrying out the Lord's glory. Because he says in the second part of it, she not only restrained you from blood guilt, but from what? Saving with your own hand. So basically, where was the saving supposed to come from? Not you. God was supposed to take care. You needed to trust God to take care of this insult and your needs. But God had restrained him to that point in time. And now let this present that your servant has brought, all these, these good foods and stuff, 
be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Let them feed. What an incredibly skillful warning, the way she put it out there. The way she was saying, don't do this. As the Lord lives, thank him for restraining you to this point in time. Well, she didn't just end it there. Then comes the absolute key passage, key request of the whole passage. And uh, verse 28, it says, please forgive the trespass of your servant. That's what she was asking for. For David to overlook the right that he had for payback. That's what forgiveness is all about, isn't it? When we're willing to overlook the right we might have for payback. And who do we give it to when we take that position? We leave it to the Lord. Saying, Lord, you're responsible. I'm going to trust you to do what needs to be done. It's interesting as uh, she goes on, and here's part of, I guess here's part of what I'd really like for us to take away today. Not only the incredible character and courage and the way the Holy Spirit has used this woman, but what she does when she talks to David in this next paragraph. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living. Where? In the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling, which is kind of a takeoff on David and Goliath, wasn't it? He whipped Goliath with a sling. And he's saying, your enemies are going to be like those smooth stones. Just flipped out. God, but, but again, all of this is what God's going to do. Um, and verse 30, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. Whoa. She's basically saying, straighten up. Don't do what you're going to do. You're going to be sorry if you do. But the way she says, I, I remember probably 15 years ago when Mike Garrigan spoke on Abigail. There was something he shared and taught that it affected me so much that I've just carried it ever since. He showed how Abigail spoke into David's heart and life and mind into who he really was in God. He, she spoke, first of all, into his true value, into who he truly was. Not what he was doing, what he was getting ready to do was awful. But she was basically saying, this isn't you. You're the true prince of Israel. God is with you. God is doing all these things for you. God is at work in you. Don't do this foolish thing and wrong thing. Two things. One, killing people that were not supposed to be killed and trying to carry out your own salvation. 
You've got to leave that. What's really ironic is this. Any of you know what happened in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel? You don't need to look back. I'll give you a hint. That is a time when he had Saul at his mercy. He had every right to kill Saul. And it had been no, nobody would have even known he did it. And he chose not to take his hand. He was going to trust God. And Saul was chasing him with his whole army. He was going to trust God to work out the whole kingship thing. Yet when he turned around in a chapter later, he's ready to take in his own hands uh, this slight to his reputation. And she's saying to him, really be who you are. Don't act in a way that isn't who the true self is. And I began to realize that's an amazing way to address conflict situations. It's an amazing way to address your, your roommate. It's an amazing way to address your spouse, who also happens to be your roommate. It's an amazing way to address your children, your employees. Because what happens is, when this, when, when this happens, we have to ask ourselves the question, who is this person really? What value can I see in them? Now, if the person is a believer in Christ, who is that person? Give me a quote. Child of God. Whoa, I don't want to mess with God's children. What else? Corinthians. We are a new, new creation in him. We have a whole new identity. That's who we really are. This garbage that I'm doing is not who I really am. So if you're really trying to help me address my garbage, start by addressing my value, who I am. Call me to step up and do and act the way that I want to, that I know God's created me to do and to be. And that is a tremendous, it really affected me. That's exactly what Abigail did. She didn't try to argue against him or whatever. She went straightly to him and said, this is who you are. And it came out that he responded to this. That's what's amazing as we think like that. Notice what David said to Abigail. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and he's saying, you know, the way you did it was phenomenal. Blessed be you, the person who had the courage, the humility, the love to come and put your life on the line. You who have kept me this day from what? What to keep him from? The two things we kept talking about? Blood guilt and working salvation with my own hand. Two biggies. I don't know that blood guilt is one we struggle with, but I guarantee you working salvation by our own hands is. Taking it in there. For surely as the Lord God is, of Israel lives, who has restrained me, and again, we're giving, all this goes back to what God is doing in this whole passage, both in Abigail and in David, has restrained me from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. 
Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have what? What did he do? This is the king anointed with 600 tough guys behind him. What does he say? I obeyed your voice. Yes, he did. But in reality, it was the voice of who? Of who? Of whom? Whatever. It was the voice of God spoken through her to him. And I've granted your petition. David recognized his sins. Tremendous. Otherwise, he could have hurt God's plan, which is the Lion of Judah and David's kingship. And he would have stolen with the second part of it if the blood guilt would have have hurt God's plan. The um, working salvation by my own behalf, that steals God's glory if I try to do it on my own. David recognized that Abigail was a spokesperson in his life. He saw it. He recognized it. Here's a question I want, a couple questions I want to ask us. There are two areas of some practical, advice, practical application I'd like us to think about. Are we like Nabal or David? How much are we listening to others? Do we have the courage to get past and realize that someone who works for us, someone who's married to us, someone who's our roommate, and, they, and they're a total mess, a child to a parent? In every case, that person might be a spokesperson of God in our life. And it says that if we don't listen, we are wicked. Not just foolish or S-T-U-P-I-D. We are wicked in that aspect. So I would want us to walk away, even as we come to the table, and say, are we truly listening to people around us? Or do we think we have the answers? Or do we think, you know, I mean, I'm always right. I don't understand why people are always asking other questions. I just don't, I don't get it. It's called blind spots, isn't it? God has put us in each other's lives specifically for us to be Abigail to our Davids. Does that make sense? And it's there that can be the spokesperson. And it really is helpful if we're going to a brother and sister in Christ and we're trying to help them, if we, we value them first. We affirm who they are in Christ. We affirm the character traits that we so appreciate so that we can then open up the conversation to keep them from making a bad choice that might be there. That's what one of the things of the, of the two things that I think that are so critical is speaking into people's lives and listening out of this whole verse. Because, again, what she was able to do was protect God's plan because of her courage and willingness to step in, and she, was, she demonstrated God's glory, which turned around and allowed David to do both of those things. Uh, just as a codicil to this thing, that, that means something you tack on at the end. That's what these last verses are. 
because to be honest with you, I've heard sermons where they made this all out to be a love story. And in reality, it sort of is. Because of what happened in verses 36 down through 38, or 37, that's where we know that Abigail was not being manipulative. She was going to, she came to tell Nabal what she did. But he was so drunk that she couldn't, he wasn't, she couldn't even talk to him. So she let him sleep it off that night. But she came to him the next day, the first time he could even understand anything, and told her what he did. You know what God did? He gave him a massive heart attack. As soon as he heard those words, I don't know what was going on or why it did that or how God wanted to use that. We just know that when he heard truth, and I guess recognized his foolishness, it, it messed his heart up completely. And now we don't know what was going on, but for 10 days he lingered, didn't he? And then 10 days later, he died. That was the consequences. Now, now again, I, don't want, I want that to be, David was really able then to say, wow, look what God did. He did all for me that I wanted to do for myself. He kept me from killing this man, but yet he took this man out of the picture. The end of it is where it says at the end of verse, 30, uh, verse 40, I believe it is, 39. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. I find that interesting. It's not, please understand, I don't think that's the major part of this passage. The major part of the passage is the quality, the character, the intelligence and the actions of a remarkable person named Abigail and what we can learn from that. But I also find it interesting is that, uh, at least in this case, and he didn't always do that, at least in this case, David definitely married up. Okay? She was out of his category. He just didn't know it. But imagine what she brought into the discussion into the leadership, the impact she must have had on David. All right, as we close, are we really willing to be Abigail's in one another's lives? That's a risk, isn't it? She took a risk to do that. But she did it because she wanted to protect God's plan and his glory. And she realized this is something she needed to do. But if we're going to step into one another's lives, first of all, we must see one another as God sees us. Okay? Even if they're not a believer, they're still made in the image of God. And you may have to look long and hard to find some good qualities to affirm but that's a part of changes us. And we're talking to one another, realizing we are new creations in Christ. God is alive in us. We are containers of the Holy Spirit. We are God's children. And when we need to talk to one another, we need to have the courage to do that. Also, will we have the courage to listen if someone wants to talk to us? We need to embrace challenging relationships 
and the situations that the Holy Spirit is calling us to, both to minister in and through. That's what she was called to. She's a remarkable woman that was used remarkably by God. It was his power. Everything was through him. But she was there. And if we could make her a model, a hero, I stop and think with tragically so many of our kids looking up to sports heroes or entertainment heroes or singers. This is the kind of person. Let's lead each other into the word of God because those are where the models of true growing and maturing in Christ are found. As we come to the table, I guess I would just kind of ask, as Christ died for us, and he now lives for us, are we willing to live for one another? We know that he has saved us and cleansed us. We also know that relationships, even in the body, can be challenging. But living them through, letting God work salvation and not hurting others out of revenge is a start. Being Abigail in one another's lives takes a lot of courage. And being a David when an Abigail comes to us takes almost as much courage. Let's come to the table in humility, thanking the Lord for all he's done. He's made us each a new creation, not because we deserved it, just because he loves us.